Coffee's ready. Guest is ready. Let's get started. Um, hello and welcome back to the Prodigy Podcast. And today I have a man who is just coming off a win at Alpha Grappling. So if you did watch that, then you'll know all about him already. Um, Sam Gibbs. Hey. Hey, Hassan. How you doing? I'm good. Um, I try and think of a question, I think of a way of kind of bringing together what I think is the the most interesting or the most kind of poignant question um, for each episode. And for this one, I thought um, the question would be, why is talent a myth? Because you're, cause you're, you're, you're someone who, um, similar to a lot more jujitsu athletes that I'm coming across, re- are really invested in the learning of jujitsu and how it's learned and kind of the learning process but um that's a big thing for you why is talent a myth um so talent is a myth thank you for asking (laughs) um i think first you need to really define talent and i think a lot of the time when people look at elite performers people who are the very best at something they look at that person and they say that person's special that person's got something special something unique that person's talented and this this kind of language is what's used to describe these kinds of people Um, as though that's the defining feature of elite performers, that they're talented, they're special, uh, they have kind of this unique ability, and it's just not true. The defining feature of elite performers is purposeful practice for a long time. And so, you know, whether you're looking at Michael Jordan, Serena Williams, Adam P.E., who's been smashing it in the pool recently, anybody like that, what you find is that there's this concurrent theme through all of them, and it's the way that they practice. That's what defines them. It's nothing to do with talent. It's nothing to do with genes. It's nothing to do with something special inside them. It's very specifically purposefully practicing for a long time. That's the defining feature of elite performance. Um, But elite performance isn't talked about that way. And learning that that is is the defining feature of elite performance, I think, for, for somebody like me, is very inspiring. Because it says to you, no matter who you are, it's not about being special. It's not about being talented. It's about practicing in the right way for, the, for a long time. Setting goals, doing the right things day in, day out, even when you don't want to. And that's liberating because what that says is that anybody can be elite, right? And I think yeah. that's, that's really powerful. And there's, I think there's something quite unique about jiu-jitsu where actually genetics have less of a, a, a kind of a, a variable in the sport than others so for example if you take um what everyone loves in the olympics is the 100 meter sprinting right Mm. um there was a reason as aside from all of the the work and the practice that he put into sprinting there was a reason that usain bolt was a bit special and because you know he he had a, a i think the word is cadence it is cadence or a certain stride length and things like that yeah cadences um but with jiu-jitsu, we go from our Marcelo Garcias to um, someone we were just talking about before this, which to our Andre Galvao's. Like mm. You can go across the spectrum in body shapes and sizes and physical ability just from genetics alone. Um, and they play, they, they have a variable there, there's no doubt about mm. it, but they, they play less of a... Um, less of a they let play have less value in developing as an athlete 
in terms of your ability, in terms of your technical ability and how well you can succeed than maybe other sports? Yeah, I think, yeah, absolutely. That's a really interesting point. And first and foremost, jujitsu is a real expression of how knowledge is power. And we all see that. And I think all the great jujitsu guys talk about that. Um, and so it is less about body type and less about um, any sort of genetic traits that you have. But I think what's also interesting about jujitsu is that different styles depend on different people's body types, right? Um, and so, and it also depends on people's personalities. And one of the beautiful things about jujitsu is it really is an expression of yourself. And so when you see different people training and different people fighting, the different styles they have are very much representations of who they are as a person, both physically, intellectually, mentally, how they feel. Uh, and I think that's one of the beautiful things about jujitsu. Uh, and I, you know, I like all the different styles and seeing those styles clash. You know, someone like Gordon Ryan, who has a very methodical kind of middle distance runner pace. You know, as we were talking about earlier, potentially against someone like Galvao, who's got this sprinter intensity, who might be able to make him tired. And seeing those kinds of clashes of personalities yeah. and physical attributes come through in jujitsu, it's I think it's one of the best things about it. It, it is. It is really unique that personality that something that is 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 difficult to express without you know use verbally but you 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 expect you expect personality you think of attributes you think of how people talk to uh, interact with others whether they're an extrovert an introvert but actually in jiu-jitsu you see that all play out if you look at um uh the oh, I forgot, why have i gone blank um the 10th planet brothers well, the Martinez, Gio, Gio and um, Boogie Man, Boogie, um, Richie, isn't it? Richie, that's it. You know, two people who are former break dancers and who mm. have quite, um, although they do themselves have slightly different personalities. But if you take Gio, just picking one of them, but who is quite expressive and flamboyant in yeah. in, in his background, and then you see that be applied to his jujitsu and into his style. And it's something that, you know, it's hard to explain to people, but it is, it is amazing to watch. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I'm expressing myself most clearly and most honestly when I'm doing jujitsu. And when I see a lot of other great jujitsu athletes, I see what I think is probably the same thing, this kind of self-expression coming through. Um, jujitsu is very, and you know, it is an art, right, as well as a combat sport. And you do see this intense self-expression. And I think that's something that really draws me to jujitsu. I feel like I can express myself through the movement and through the way I fight mm -hmm. even more clearly than any words I could use. So when you, when you first started jujitsu, was that, uh, was that something that you, you felt immediately that you, when you were like, ah, oh, I can, because obviously you don't have the skills in which to apply yeah. jujitsu when you first start. So I, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because how, how the more the more you learn jujitsu, the more you'll be able to express yourself yeah, with it. Absolutely. It's like you're learning more words to a language and yeah. thus you can speak with more clarity for sure. Um I definitely fell in love with jujitsu straight away. I think I fell in love straight away, not because like I could express myself through the movement. That's definitely something that's come as I've learned and I've sort of applied my personality to what's becoming my jujitsu. Um it was more that 
the grittiness that's required the fact that in, you know you, most people spar on their first session and it takes you to a deep dark place and it sucks <laughs> and you've got to make decisions you know am i gonna frame and make space and try and get out or am i just gonna let this guy submit me and you know you, you, you those kind of dilemmas where you really find out who you are are presenting to you on day one and i think it, i imagine and i get the impression seeing new students come into our gym that it's the same for a lot of people that some pe- you learn about yourself on day one like that. And when you learn that you're somebody that gets presented with those decisions and your response is to go, okay, I'm fighting out. And that's what it is. And if I do lose, actually, I want to learn how to go about countering that and digging deeper and being better next time. And when you learn that you're kind of that kind of person, it's addictive. You want to come back and you want to get better and you want to learn next time. Um, so that was definitely what got me into jujitsu to begin with. And how, how long has it been now that you've been training for? Between five and six years. Five, six. It's all become a blur years. now. Yeah, I mean, it's less, it's less about, I was saying, like, I, you know, at this point, it, it just doesn't matter how long you've trained for. It's how are you training? Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm very focused on it now. I'm doing it day in, day out. Cards are on the table. I'm a submission grappler. This is who I am. You know, I want a piece of everybody under 70. <laughs> this is the life I lead now, mm-hmm. and that's what it is, you know? Well, I mean, the last year was a, as a period which... Uh, any opportunities for training were like gold dust. Yeah. Um, so g- going on to kind of your, your, this commitment to training and this, mm. uh, this decision to kind of, there is a line where you go, right, well, I'm, I'm not going to be a recreational grappler. Like this yeah. is where I'm going. Yeah. Um, so you went and trained with Ash Williams, which was uh, from how, what we've spoken about. It was a real, it, it felt like, when speaking to you, it was uh, a big step in kind of how you felt as a grappler and also kind of n- not knowing your place, but understanding where, where, you, where you could be and where, where you could grow to as a grappler. Yeah, you could say knowing your place. Those first roles I had with Ash taught me my place <laughs> for sure. Um, so the first time I met Ash, he put, he's put on two ADCC trials camps now. When trials was supposed to be a year ago, he did the first one. And I went down to that. And first off, I was just so impressed, first and foremost, that, you know, as the top lightweight in the country, he was saying, everybody, come to my gym. I'm a spar with all of you. Let's put on a camp. Let's raise up British Jiu-Jitsu and let's try and do well in trials. I think that's, I just think that that mindset and that way of being is brilliant. And I'm very much about that, about lifting everybody up. Let's, yeah, exactly. let's find the best people and let's raise each other up, you know? We're only a small island. We need to, yeah. be, able, we, we need to be able to, and, and, and that was something that, because no one else has done that before. Mm. If, there, if there were people who were to do that, they were to do it in small ways within their own gyms or maybe in the local gyms or something like yeah, that. Yeah, and if, most, you know, if these gyms are running competition sessions where they're sparring hard, they're not just inviting anybody. Exactly. It's not like that, whereas Ash is, you know, they've been very open with that. And I thought that was quite amazing. Um, and then sparred with him and he was just next level. He was, you know, he was different and he's got some other guys there that were really good. And so from my perspective as a lightweight, looking to be the best lightweight in the country, why would I go and train with anybody else other than the best lightweight in the country? And so messaged him, said, I want to come to his competition sessions. Happy for me to come since then. I've been going whenever I can Uh, at the point now it's every week on a Monday and they've just been brilliant and they train. They train unlike anybody else, Hassan. They, they really do. It's, it's, it's incredibly technical, but it's also physical and it's mental and you need to be about it. It's sink or swim kind of sessions. It's the kind of sessions everybody says they do, you know? It, that, 
That is the crux of, I think, if, if anyone were to describe what a session at that gym is like, that, that would be the motto. It's the sessions that everyone says they've done. Exactly. But realistically, if they've done one, they did one a couple of months ago and that was the last one they did. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, those guys, um, they're called Drake now. The pro, squad's, the pro squad's called Drake, which means dragon in Welsh. And they train out of Chris Reese Academy and they, that pro squad is on five days a week and it's like that every day. They really do. They're about it. And so, for, as I said, for me, why would, I, why would I want to be anywhere else? It's a really good level finder and it's already it's doing a great job of just making me better and better. And have you, have you brought those, you know, those lessons learned to your own gym as of well? Of course, yeah. So, I mean, I've, I've, Ash put on three mindset seminars that I went to. They've come back straight away to all my students talking about training, training cognitively, being strict with yourself about how you train and being disciplined. That for sure... The intensity of their training um, has had a big impact on how I train now as well. The way they structure their sessions has had quite a big impact. And it's like the invisible stuff too. It's like with Ash, the scramble never ends, right? And so now my scrambles have got so much better. My scrambles don't end now, right? And yeah, it's so just, you it's know, just one continuous. Yeah. And you need to train with those kind of people to get like that, you know? And they've got a few there. So yeah, it's, it's a good environment. I, I, I do think that because some people um, see and there is a reason why that you you do see the uh, ash usually like coming out with like a red eye or like and it's, <laughs> it's genuinely and and I think that it can be very easy to palm that off as oh well they're just doing hard sparring and but it's if once you train and uh, train there you understand that there is a there is a a technicality to that approach and mm. the the approach of putting that amount of pressure on it you you have to learn it you have to be able to understand yep. it and not everyone can there aren't people who there are people who really enjoy scrambles that's fine you know i'll hold my hand up i that that's that's why i love no gi jiu-jitsu but there's that that is kind of minimal in comparison to what is a technical ability to put on that level of intensity com consistently throughout a round, throughout multiple rounds. 100%. And that's not just a physical thing. That's a mental thing. It's probably a mental thing first and foremost. Staying that switched on to be able to bring that intensity and not make any mistakes for a long time. That's, I think that's what real high level jujitsu is. And I also think that modern jujitsu is getting to a place now where, you know, it's slowly becoming a professional sport. If you want to be good, if you want to be elite in a professional sport, you need to be an athlete. And we're seeing, you know, we see people like the Rotolos would be a really good example of this, wherein if you can't handle their physicality, then you've just got no business being there in the first place, let alone what your jujitsu is. You're just going to drown in a few minutes if you're not at that athletic level. And I think jujitsu is getting to a place where it's like that. And I very much like training in a way that's like that. And I'm aware that I'll go to competitions and you see it. You see people drown underneath you. You see that you see it on their faces and you can feel it in their body. They're like, oh, there's this kind of intensity is there. And you know, and I think if you want to be, if you want to be pushing to the highest levels, I think you need to be training with that kind of intensity. And where do you think, do you think we'll get to a, how close do you think we are to that point where, for example, I mean, we already have professional and amateur competition. We have kind of mm. the grappling industries and then your Polaris's. Mm. But do you think there'll be a point where the professionals won't compete in the local tournaments because they are a completely different thing. I think potentially, yeah. I, I, well, I think, you know, if you're, if you're getting supervised on Polaris, why are you going to 
why are you going to risk injuring yourself at the Brighton Open? Yeah. Right? Uh, so I think I think there definitely there is that separation there. I also think there's some competitions that bridge that gap. Uh, the grappling industry's competitions are really good. I see some really good guys competing yeah. at them too. Uh, and and you can get lots of rounds in. That's the thing with grappling industry. Yeah, that is, it, and obviously the rule set's great. So you're guaranteed a few fights, and the, it's a good sort of open submission rule set. So I think it attracts a lot of people. Um, so there are some competitions that bridge that gap. But yeah, of course, you know, um, I think the elite do separate themselves by competing at you know the best events. And I think we just need to a place get to a place where they get paid enough to just do that. Right? <laughs> Fingers crossed. Yep. So. I think this is a very easy question to answer, but your focus, where's your focus life at no gi or gi? I presume it is. It's, a, it's ADCC, all roads lead to ADCC. I love the gi, mm-hmm. but I mean, for for a year and a half, two years now, all roads have led to trials. Nothing is going to change. It, that's what it is. And do you think they are becoming, there's lots of discussions around these are two different, these are becoming two different sports now, or at least two different, you know, are, are, you, are you seeing... The uh, we were talking about as a PT earlier. Are we seeing the breaststroke and you yeah. know the front crawl? Oh, this is gonna swimmers gonna hate me for this. But are we seeing that these are you know you can be a high level competitor one and actually not be able to compete at the same level in another? I would say there are people like Michael Phelps, yeah, who win it all. There are people like Mikey Musumeshi. I think yeah. If look, if you want to go win worlds at black belt gi. You should probably be training solely in the gi. And the same goes for no gi. But I think the two sports are really, really intertwined. And things like um, levers and wedges and underhooks and timing uh, and ability to compete and win under specific rule sets, these are skills in and of themselves that can win across platforms, that can win gi and no gi. And I think when you, so you do get the competitors that are able to do that because their understanding of the physics of it coupled with their understanding of how to win in whatever specific rule set it is, allows them to do so. I think Mikey Musumeshi is a great example of that. Yeah, I mean, he, he put that on display with his fight with Gio. He's a beast. Um, it was also quite amusing just watching someone who I, I always have in my head as someone who's just very sweet and nice just go off on one. It was, it was quite weird to see. Yeah, uh, I mean, I think he was just emotional at the end, yeah. but he's clearly got a dark place he goes to yeah. in his head when he competes. I mean... He, he's obviously a really nice guy. Aren't all the, like, the biggest savages the nicest guys, though? And I think you see it when Mikey Mus- Musumeshi competes. That's what I like about him. You can see it on his face. This is Mikey Musumeshi competition mode, and he's a different human being, and he goes to the dark place. I really rate him for that. <laughs> um, so for people who don't know, um, your gym, Eon BJJ. Eon BJJ. Which I have... Oh, I spent the longest time pronouncing it wrong. I was saying Aeon, and I was like, no, I am so wrong. Um, but for those who don't know, as well as being a, a jiu-jitsu gym, you also do a lot of work in your community. We do. Yeah, we do. We have, um, we have two arms running off of Eon BJJ. One is Eon Project, and one is Inspirational Youth. Um, both ran primarily by Eamon Madden, and then we have Louise, and we have Tarek, and I do some work with them too. Um, We've been going into schools for a long time now, working with at-risk youth um, through self-defense, doing self-defense and mindfulness with them and having some great impact on children. Um, All sorts of endeavors in the community, whether we're going into schools or whether children are coming to us. Most recently, we've given a lot of local children bikes and Eamon's running 
teaching them how to cycle on the road, taking them down to Brighton, doing all sorts of things to really build children's confidence and give them real world skills. Um, it's part of what's so inspiring to be part of Eon BJJ. And, and what I've, I've taken most from everyone at your gym is that growth isn't just something that's done inside on the mat. It's done kind of everywhere. Every, everyone who I come across, it's, it's about kind of growing as a person as much as you can. 100%. I mean, Eon is a culture. All jujitsu gyms are cultures, whether they call themselves that or not. They, you do, you create a culture when you get together in small groups regularly. And the, the culture we create is a, truly about growth mindset and self-development. And that very much just begins on the mat, doesn't it? And it, you, take, you, take what you, learn in, you take what you learn on the mat into the rest of the world with you, right? And you become a better person through jujitsu not just when you're on the mats being that good guy in jiu-jitsu, but, you know, when you're everywhere else. Um, and we have a culture of leaders. Everybody's a leader at our club. You wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't, if, if we didn't have belts around our waist, you wouldn't really know who's what, who's what belt because everybody holds themselves the same way. And we create a space wherein new people can feel so comfortable. And, you know, there's not really yeah. that obvious hierarchy. And if you took the belts away, you wouldn't even know. Uh, and f I think that's really powerful. And I think, you know, it makes me very proud to be part of Eon. And I think, have, is that something that you've always had? So, I mean, because I don't, I don't know if you've come from a sporting background before all this. Um, were you a footballer or a, a, a rugby player or a golfer, God forbid? Uh, not in, yeah, golf's not really my thing, but a lot of sports, yeah. I've competed in a lot of sports from like swimming to athletics to rugby to football. Um, all sorts. I've always sports been my life, pretty much. And have you been? Uh, have you been always? Have, is has it been jujitsu that you've been particularly competitive with? Is there something about jujitsu where you're going? No, I. This is the one I'm. I'm going to be. There definitely is something about jujitsu where it's the one that it, it's definitely lit a flame in me. I've. It wouldn't say it's the one that's made me competitive. I've always been competitive. But there's been something about jujitsu that makes me want to fulfill my potential. That's what I'd say about it. I've, I've competed at quite a high level across a number of sports, mm -hmm. but I've never really been ultimately that inspired, <laughs> you know, to really fulfill my potential. But jujitsu makes me want to do that, yeah. you know. And when you when you talk about yourself, there's a, about your own jujitsu. People describe their jujitsu in different ways. Um, whether you kind of are a self-professed or named like leg lock specialist or something like that, um, or an all-rounder. Is there, is there an avenue in which you would describe yourself or is there something to be spoken about or said about being an all-rounder or being a specialist in a particular aspect of, well, I guess no gi jiu-jitsu specifically? I think there's something to be said for both. There's something to be said to being an all-rounder and there's something to be said for being a specialist. I suppose it de depends how good you are at being a specialist and how good you are at being an all-rounder. Um, like we spoke earlier, one of the interesting things about jujitsu is different personalities and styles fighting each other mm -hmm. and the specialist can beat the all-rounder and vice versa. Um, for me, for like describing my own game, I don't want to be a specialist. I want to be able to, I want to be able to break your legs, break your arms and strangle you. I want to be able to do all those things and you don't know what's coming. I want to be able to leg lock the leg lockers and I'll be able to out wrestle the wrestlers. That's the kind of game I'm looking for. Um, and beyond all that as like a higher concept, it's about leading the conversation and being aggressive. That's my jujitsu. doesn't matter whether it's leg locks, doesn't matter whether it's attacking the back. 
It's leading the conversation and being aggressive and being beautiful. I want beautiful jujitsu. I want people to want to watch my jujitsu. And I, I, I think that's the, that's the great thing about people who have your particular style is, you know, it's, it's hard to draw people to jujitsu if they don't, you know, the layman who's never seen jujitsu before, you, you could stick on a jujitsu match and I'll hold my hands up and say that I find some jujitsu matches really boring. And I think anyone who's does jujitsu, who's not found a boring jujitsu match needs to go watch more jujitsu because there are some, and I think that particular, I mean, the aggressive particular style does lend itself to more dynamics and also but more excitement. But I think there is something to that. And we are in both a sport and, and but if you, if you look at the history of sport, as well as being a test for people's athletic ability and their ability in combat, it was also an entertainment. There is a reason that people outside of the advent, you know, the arena of actual physical combat and actual physical war went and decided do you know what let's stick mm. two people in a space and see who's the best well, obviously you know back in the day that would have left to one person's inevitable death but might have been fun it, it, it might have been fun <laughs> i mean we can bring back the coliseum and the old school <laughs> gladiators if you really want i mean um but like there's a reason that that became a thing and it was an entertainment yeah, no, I agree. And obviously, I mean, I agree with your first point too. Lots of jiu-jitsu matches are boring. Um, yeah. I think, I, I, see it, I see it two ways. I think, um, you know, I recently fought an Alpha Grappling Championships and those kind of fights where they're streaming them, sometimes they'll be paid sponsors, they're paying me to fight and the, the whole idea is people watch. There, I feel a big responsibility to, to really put on a show and ha- a jujitsu that people want to watch. I feel a big responsibility to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think that's a bit different from the final in Black Belt Worlds, for instance, you know? And I, th- um, I, I, I think it's important to make that separation. But also, if, if, you ha- if, if my higher goal is to always be leading the conversation and to be aggressive, then I am entertaining across all rule sets. Yeah. But there's definitely a place for winning right and playing to win and mm-hmm. you, you see that you see that all over the place if you're watching the final match in any sort of high level competition even the people who are aggressive and push the pace you can see they're playing in a way that is intelligent and knows how to win and there's definitely a place for that yeah, too you've, you've scored you know you've scored your point and there's five seconds left on the clock kind of yeah. situation sure 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 and like i think um you know in competition if 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 one person's up on points it's the it's the other person's job to get those points back the impetus is on you you know um not sometimes i hear people complaining about the other person stalling and then i'll see the fight and i I think that i think that a lot of the time it's both people right you can kind of stop people stalling on you if you if you go if you go for them right um so i think it can be a bit of both sometimes it's a risk thing isn't it because i can understand and we've been in situations where you know that someone just uh, I don't know, they've got mount on you or you're in their guard and they've gone, they've just decided I'm going to stay where I am. I have no interest in advancing position. And it is frustrating, but there is also a, a point in which you have to go, well, you do have to, it's a matter of risk and that person is choosing not to risk anything. But realistically, you have to use your jujitsu and you do have to risk something sometimes to be able to create opportunities and people... Uh, expect that because of using these rule sets of saying well that person on top of me stalling they're 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 holding out for the points well actually 
yes they are but also you're kind of waiting for them you're you're yep. you're for, you're saying to the ref well they need to do something so i get a chance you need to create those opportunities yeah yeah i think a couple things to that first off if you're trying to stall out by pulling closed guard i'm going to stand up and open your guard and you know that's not happening anymore is it and so I, like i said the impetus is on you then stop yeah. them stalling right but i also do think you know um there's been fights where you know when i get to the finals where i can think of two instances in the finals of competitions where i've lost by an advantage and i and in, in the moment i'm like i'm really frustrated oh, i was only an advantage you know what i mean mm-hmm. but then i watch the match back and i'm like yeah but he did beat me mm-hmm. and he knew how to win by an advantage right and he came in and he went with the win and why are we going to competition we're there to win right and so i end up having a certain respect for it because I'm like, well, he did beat me. He did get that advantage and he did know how to play to win with that advantage. And he won. Why am I here to compete? I want to win. So I've got a certain respect for it. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Even though I want my jujitsu to be aggressive and I'm going to lead the conversation and that's who I am. I respect winners, you know, because I'm a winner. That's what I'm looking for. And that, that, there's, that's the commit you, you, to be able to separate yourself from you are a competitor but you have to respect the other person's competitiveness as well and if they know that the wins in front of them they, they're gonna take it yeah i mean yeah absolutely i can respect people who know how to win yeah. yeah and you know generally by the time i've got to the finals of a competition i'm super confident by that point they're super confident we're both the best two guys in that bracket we both know how to win so if they've managed to out advantage me yeah i've got a certain respect for that they managed you know they managed to find a way to do that right so, so let's it's, it's my job it's my job to shut them down stop them doing that and submit them right it's not my job to be annoyed about it and it it, it speaks to the the mindset in which you can choose to have which is i need to be better than them so they can't do that exactly exactly that's that's how you need to be thinking as a competitor right it's on you to win yeah most definitely so let's talk a little, you've touched on it, Alpha Grappling. Um, mm. It was your most um, recent competition and uh, first one in a while, given yeah. the, 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 the situation that everyone's in. <laughs> um, but I think it was a real, for those who got to see it, it was a real opportunity and you can play it back on Facebook, I think now. Um, but it was a real display and it, I, I was really pleased that it was a display of exactly what you were about. It didn't last very long, um, but... That I think that just spoke to it more, but it was a real display of being able to show that with someone who definitely wanted to draw you into their game. Um, I've forgotten the name of the guy you were fighting, Chris Hayes. Chris Hayes. Um, but he had a, he, you, you from the kind of offset, you could see kind of that he wanted to draw you in. You know, pulling pulling in that guard, trying to find those leg entanglements and things like that. Yeah, for sure. It goes back to what we were saying about earlier. You know, the kind of fighters that inspire me are the Vitolos and they can push a kind of pace for 10 minutes that most people can't. Uh, and so my intention in a 10 minute super fight like that is to push a pace that you can't. I'm not going to get tired fighting at that pace. And so I might catch you early, but, you know, are you even going to want to be in the fight five to six minutes later? Have you got that kind of energy and that kind of cardio, especially if I'm leading the conversation? So that was essentially my intention, um, to really just attack, 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 stay aggressive, lead a high pace. Uh, and yeah, it paid off. <laughs> and was there, I mean, you. so you, you, there is that step from competing in tournaments and winning, whether that be the South End Open, the British Open, like 
you know, yeah. the, the national ADCC yeah. and stuff like that. But you are making your way towards focusing on things like trials um, mm. and larger scale competitions. Obviously, mm. the pinnacle of that being ADCC. Mm. But is is this something that you're going to move towards now, focusing on these kind of your, your alpha grapplings, your the uh, grapple fest and things like that. I'd love to. I mean, first and foremost, it was amazing. To, it was it was a great show to be a part of. They, you know, they were brilliant. They sent me a contract to schedule the whole shebang. They were on point. Paid me as soon as I was finished. It was it was a brilliant show to be a part of. I would love to do more shows like that. I think it's really cool just knowing you've got one opponent. This is the rule set. You've got this one opportunity. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's not a tournament where you can warm up, you know, sort of make sure you get through the first round. By the time you're in the semis, you've got a bit of swagger. <laughs> it's about just meeting with that one guy and getting it done. That's really exciting. And obviously from, from a position of someone who's looking to do this full time, it's, it's, you know, it's amazing that the shows like this, they're going to be paying us to compete too. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I'd love to do more. Yeah. And have you always found that, are, are you the kind of person that has been able to go from, well, zero to a hundred in that first, so, you know, you turn up to grappling industries, has that first fight always been, for example, have you always been able to give your best performance in that first fight? Because some people do find that they need, they need that, that warm up round or they need the, you know, the first couple of rounds to, to get through and then they're feeling themselves just they're feeling at their point at their best point by the time they've got through a couple of fights uh yeah I'm, I'm getting better and better at being the best me right from the get-go um however yeah i mean if if, if i'm in a 10 minute match the best jujitsu i'm going to be doing if, if if it goes the full 10 is going to be the last three or four minutes my jujitsu warms up as i go and i get into this flow state and it's you know that really works for me so in a super fight like that, I think I would be a lot better later on in the fight. And generally speaking, in a competition, yeah, by match two, three, four, I'm usually firing on all cylinders a little bit more. Mm -hmm. I usually warm up a little bit more. Um, yeah, absolutely. And have you? Is there ways in which, and this may have something that you've worked on um, whilst you're you've been in Wales, but preparing, being you know warming up and preparing yourself for what is only a uh, kind of one ten minute round. Um, preparing yourself so that you are firing on all cylinders when you step onto that map? Yeah, for me, as much as anything, it was about a mental thing. Um, whenever I'm competing, once I'm going, it's, it's a feeling like nobody can stop me, Hassan. And so it's about, it's about finding that mental place before the fight's even begun. And, you know, in the last year and a half, I've been doing a lot of work on my mental state and on, on ensuring that whenever the time comes i'm ready to go mentally and i'm 100 me right from the get-go so there has been an awful lot of work on that but as i said probably more mental than physical okay. that's interesting because people people talk about their physical growth and their technical ability growth but i don't think i think there is there are competitors who do and don't i don't think there's a fine line and i think that actually those there is a difference between those who understand that there is a dynamic between how you prepare yourself mentally for jujitsu and how you pre prepare yourself for competitive sport. Of course. Um, once, once we're at a high level, I'm good, you're good. Sport's mental at that point. It's as simple as that. You know how jujitsu goes. If you're in your gym and you do a round of somebody new, if you win that round and you tap them a few times, just how they feel the next round is different. 
right? They, the, the jujitsu is exactly the same. You know, you're the same person, they're the same person, but the feel of it's different. You can kind of feel they kind of expect to be tapped. It's all a little bit easier now. And that, that goes for almost everybody, you know? And that's a mental thing that's happened, right? And it's also that you're expecting to tap them. So you're going into the next round expecting to tap them. They're going into the round expecting to be tapped. And you can feel it. You can feel it. And so it's about going into competition and expecting to tap them, you yeah. know? And it's about being in a mental place where I, you know, I believe in myself to that point. Nobody can match me physically. So when the time comes, you know, try. I believe in myself, you know? So that, that goes to, <laughs> well, I guess uh, a good description of this is uh, when I came and popped down and trained train with you guys, um, which did lead to me being like, uh, blind in one of my eyes for <laughs> half a round um, but we'll get to that in a second but there is there's something to building building that mentality through preparation physical preparation mm. so the way in which you now approach your physical you know working on specific sparring and things like that yes um, being approaching each round now with the mentality that I need to win this small this small mm. fight whether it be taking someone's back or it it, it be mm. uh submitting from a particular position mm -hmm. that's purposeful practice right so um there's a psychologist called anders ericsson he, he died a year or so ago um but he was one of the pioneering psychologists looking into elite performance and he termed the phrase purposeful practice and he defined it and number one is well-defined specific goals, right? So if I'm training and I'm just coming in and you know, let's do eight minute, eight minute rounds, let's go hard. Do five of those, feel really good, get loads of endorphins, think that I learned lots and had a great session, right? But that's not very focused training. That's not gonna improve me. If instead I come in and I go, right, I'm gonna do 20 minutes open guard. And the objective of the guy on the bottom is sweeps and submissions. And the objective of the guy on the top is scoring positions. And that's it. And then we're going to move to turtle. And from turtle, the objective of the guy on top is to secure the back. And that's it. You've got one objective, secure the back. And the objective of the guy on the bottom, one objective, regard, however you like. That's training with specific goals in mind. That is a million times different from coming in and doing eight minutes hard even if you're doing that with a high level black belt you know and you're a high level black belt the those two training systems are entirely different they're entirely different and that's what part of purposeful practice is you not only want to be coming in with goals you know i'm going to work my knee slides today whatever it is you want the training itself to be tailored in such a way that it forces you to focus on specific goals right so you have no choice so for instance you know back positional if you come in five days a week and you just roll how long are you going to spend on somebody's back? Let's say you're not very good at taking backs. You're not going to spend much time on people's backs, right? So you're never going to practice that. What if instead you do 20 minutes of positional back work five days a week? Then you've got 100 minutes of back time as opposed to one or two minutes of back time. It's just they're not even comparable. And that's the difference between training with purpose and not training with purpose. And I think a lot of people come into jiu-jitsu and jiu-jitsu is so hard you inevitably work really hard and you're really taxed. And so you get all these endorphins and you feel like something great in terms of a learning process happened mm -hmm. when it actually didn't. And so you need to be training up, setting up your training with specific goals in mind in order to actually progress. And so, yeah, in terms of my physical training, all we pretty much do now is positional sparring um, in order to 
make sure that our training has specific goals and we're focusing on very specific things and getting better in those places. And obviously those specific goals are oriented to whatever competition it is that we're looking to win. And th- there's, there's something about the, the, the focus that I've spoken to. Her. So for example, Lloyd Cooper spoke about this. He said, you shouldn't be coming to class saying, I'm going to have a good session. With that, and that being the, the, the end of the sentence, your full stop is there. Mm. You should be going, I am going to improve on this thing and, and we are going to do this. We are going to approach this this way. And that's, that's where the onus on, you, you know, both depend on how you treat this. It, it's either on you, whoever your instructor is or mm. depending on how seriously you take it yourself as well. Mm. But you need to be able to approach this so that throughout that, you, you approach the session that for that hour, hour and a half, you are firing on all cylinders cognitively. Your focus does not drop because it is very easy. Um, I think when you start out jujitsu and then you get comfortable with it, that, you know, you kind of, you, you sit, rest on your laurels a little bit and you get, and your focus on the learning drops. And of course. I think an easy way to practice this, practice this, shall I say, um, if for those who you know aren't trained jujitsu at the moment anyway is if you're going to go do anything so let's say you're going to go and cut the grass in your garden or uh, go to the gym and lift some weights actually approach that and go right i'm going to focus on the task my mind is not going to deviate in mm. any way i am going to focus on doing this and so if you're going to go and i don't know deadlift for whatever six sets there's no kind of, you don't kind of, you don't let your mind wander. Mm. You focus right and you keep thinking about it. Mm. And actually the amount of time, you know, you're talking about, right, well, rather than do this amount of full sparring, specific sparring set over a week period, you mm. get more time on the back. Well, it's the same, that can be applied anywhere is that, well, if I focus, how much time on the mat are you spending where your mind wanders? And how much time are people spending where they're, their full hour, hour and a half for each session. If you if you don't have the, the you know, we don't, some people don't have the luxury of training six, seven times a week. Mm-hmm. And if you don't, how much are you getting out of that hour session that you can only do twice, three times a week? If you can't spend as much time on the mats, use the time you have. Make sure that you're dedicated for that full hour. I couldn't I couldn't agree more. Um, and I mean, it, it touches on point two of purposeful practice. So to begin with, you need well-defined specific goals. Uh, point two is you need to be focused. And I think um, there's an intensity to that and there's an awareness and a presence to that. And you feel it. Some people train like that. Some people are s- just super aware and they're present and they're intense. And you can feel that they're not distracted by anything else. They're not thinking about anything else. They are in the jujitsu they're doing here and now, right? And that's how you have to train. That's how you have to train if what you're focusing on is growth. You need a well-defined specific goal then you need to bring a level of awareness to it that means you channel out everything else. And for that, for that time that you're doing jiu-jitsu, you are focusing specifically and wholly on that. Um, just that alone would change the game for a lot of people, I think. And there's something that happens with skill acquisition. Um, a good example of it is driving a car. When you're learning to drive a car, you are firing on all cylinders because it's really difficult. You're doing 20 things at once. And it's like, you know, it's very difficult and you're really thinking about it, right? 
Um, there's a general point at which your ability to drive a car starts to decline though. Once you've passed your driving test and you've driven for a few years, people invariably get worse at driving cars because they stop thinking about what it is they're doing because they've acquired enough skill to perform it in a subconscious subliminal way, right? And so they've stopped being aware. So their ability to drive a car actually, actually goes down. You see that in jujitsu a lot. Like the, you know, you see it in all the belts, blue, purple, brown, black, you see it. Um, people who get to a point where, you know, they're effective at what they do and that's what they do. And this is one of the things that's, that I'm always driving into my students is that if you set well-defined specific goals and if you come in and you be focused and you, you, you make sure you're present for the entire session and you're totally aware of what you're doing, you'll overtake those other people. Yeah. You might be a white belt and then you might be a brown belt. So it might, that might seem insurmountable right, right now, but it's not just that you'll surmount that, dis, that distance, you'll overtake them if you train like that. And that's the power of purposeful practice. Yeah. And, and it's, it's hard to, because, I mean, me and you could talk about this now and we are, we, we are so on that side of purposeful practice <laughs> that when people go, yeah, but I'm just, I'm just there to have a good time. And we, and we say, yeah, we know we're having, you're having, we're having a good time too, but we're having a good time because of this. And it's sometimes hard to, to argue when you're going, oh, well, I, I'm just here for the enjoyment, but it, it, it is a line that you have to cross. And I think there, there can be pleasure derived from purposeful practice. And I think it's, it's down to personal choice on how much you choose to balance the two. Yeah, I would say something more than pleasure is derived from purposeful practice. I think you do get pleasure from jujitsu as a hobby. And that's kind of what's so fun about it. Um, I think meaning is what's found in purposeful practice. I think when you commit to something like that and you see that you are learning and growing every day, that in itself has deep, deep meaning. And I think that's way better than having a pleasurable experience. Yeah. Well, it's the satisfaction in having that meaning. Yeah. It, 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 uh, a sense of purpose. Yeah. The, so, um, again, we all have our lazy days. And I think sometimes it's good to... Speak for yourself, Hassan. Speak for yourself. <laughs> Look, no everyone can be amazing, right? Sometimes, you know... Yeah, of course. It, 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 we turn on the PlayStation and we go, I'm just going to not do anything. But there is... Don't get... But there is something in the fact that when you are there and you, you, you know that but at the end of the day, you've, you've done things that have, have taken you even small steps towards your growth. They've built you. It can be reading a couple of pages on a yeah. book. It can be doing half an hour of jujitsu. Yeah. But you know, so uh, consciously that I have done something that is going to take me on a journey is going to help me progress. And that only, only you can know that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that feeling, I think it's the best feeling knowing you're growing, that feeling of growth and that meaning it brings. I very much know that's what I'm chasing. And I think it's the best feeling. And when you see other people experience it, that really confirms it for me, you know? So, I mean, it's it, to, to understand maybe where you learned this from based off your own self-learning and um, but there's also there's an importance of mentors and role models in people's in in people's lives. Are there any p particular athletes or uh, are there any particular people where you have learned this from or you have kind of been inspired from, and or has helped encourage you to to get to this point? I'm very fortunate that my jujitsu journey started at the club it started at with the on BJJ and my coach Eamon Madden and. 
I'm quite a unique individual and a space, Eamon has been very good at creating a space for me wherein I feel comfortable enough to just express myself completely. I think that's really made all the difference and inspired me because it's made me comfortable just being like, you know what, this is who I am. This is what I want to do and this is what I love. And I think that's what's inspired me to then, from, from there on out, you know, I don't really think of any external motivation. I've read books that have taught me about things like purposeful practice and how, um, the, you know, the defining feature amongst elite performers is not talent or something special. It's the way they practice. And then, I don't know, I just feel more motivated every day intrinsically. Um, and it's because I see the growth. It's because I see the growth and I think that becomes addictive. Uh, and as I say, the space the space that exists within Eon for me allows me to be everything I need to be. And then it's just, it's up to me to create that internal motivation and make sure that I practice with purpose every day and I'm going to get where I'm going. And have you found that having, so when people talk about, uh, people talk a lot about how they train and whether that be, so for example, have is there something that you do to support your your development as included in maybe that personal practice so do you kind of have written notes or do you mentally rehearse stuff outside what is there things that you do outside of yeah of course um i i'm always visualizing um but i had a chat with cabrinha what is about two years ago now maybe i was fortunate enough to pick him up from the airport and I had like this list of questions for him that I had to make seem conversational. Um, <laughs> were they were they stuck on the dashboard? I, I'd, I'd read them. I had them. In, I had them in a handbook in my bag, and I'd, I'd, I'd like written them down that day. I'd like remembered them all. Was thinking of ways to like put them into questions that weren't just like, "Hey, I have fifty questions for you, Cabrinha." Um, Find but the of, longest route from the airport. Yeah, exactly. Right. And then I took him to lunch and everything. It was amazing. But one of the things that really stuck with me was that he visualizes and he visualizes a lot. So, you know, he's visualizing what's going to happen in a competition months before the competition. And he's doing that every day. And at first I found that really difficult, but now it's just become a part of my life. And I'm really, it's gotten better. At first I found it difficult just to visualize myself submitting people. Yeah. My head would fuck with me and I would like take that back, but then they'd escape and submit me or something. And I'd be like, no, 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 no. That's not what I'm supposed to be visualizing. Um, but slowly I've gotten better at it. And that's played a big, big part. Um, I take lots of notes, but they're not, I don't take notes that are like, you know, ABC, this is how you do the move. It'll yeah. be at the end of the end of a training session. I'll have specific things that I want to remember to take away from it. Um, and I'll, so I'll, you know, I'll write down a specific note that's to do with something like that. So it might say something. So for instance, I'm just going through my notebook now. It just says, don't think, do exclamation mark. So that's probably a session where I was in my own head too much and mm -hmm. it's just reminding me. And then I'll go through these notes and then all the books I read, I'll highlight things I want to remember, then I'll reread, then I'll make notes. So I've got, I've got a book that's kind of all the notes I've made on other books that I've read that are to do with purposeful practice and mind state and elite performance. So I can always go to that and just get a few quotes that inspire me or something like that. Then, you know, I'm watching jujitsu. Um, you know, if I'm not doing jujitsu or I'm SNCing and I'm SNCing very much purposefully in a way that is let's prevent injury so I can compete at the highest level for the next, you know, five or 10 years. Is that how you've always approached your strength and conditioning? It's, it's, it's around prevention. It's about kind of ensuring that you can be the best, like the best function that you can be. 
it's becoming more and more like that as my as my jujitsu training itself gets more intense and as i want to compete regularly um I'm becoming more and more aware that I'm, I, you know, I'm asking my body of a lot. And so the most important thing is that it can do those things. Before SNC, maybe I'd want to lift the highest weight or do the most reps. I would do some mad workouts, <laughs> right? Before CrossFit was cool, I was doing some mad workouts, Hassan. But now it's, now, now it's much more about strong ligaments, mm-hmm. strong knees, strong core, to, you know, so I can hold weights. And, you know, everything is unbalanced. Uh, and very much with sort of jujitsu specific injury prevention in mind, yeah. And that's that again. That it, it is that turning point where I, it when you're when you're saying this stuff, it's understanding that the focus is how can I be the best I be when I get to you know where my feet touch the mat. Yes. It's 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 there. There is no other focus. It's not about I want to be the strongest on the mat. I I want to be the best I can be, and whatever detracts from that can be pushed aside. Yeah, absolutely. And it's you know it's getting more and more like that. I was um, reading Tim Grover's most recent book, Winning, and I think it's like chapter ten, chapter eleven is about being selfish, and about you know winning requires you to be selfish and as I'm more and more competing at higher and higher levels and seeing myself as someone that's going to compete at the highest level, uh, more and more I am becoming aware that there is an element of selfishness in that and, you know, um, augmenting my life in such a way that everything is focused about, you put it beautifully, that when my feet step on the mat, I'm the best I can be. That requires thinking about everything I do from the moment I wake up. And that requires a level of selfishness. Mm -hmm. And I think at the minute, one of the things I'm going through is becoming comfortable with the idea that, okay, you do have to be a little bit selfish. And I've got to, I've got to augment my life in such a way that every single second is focused on me being the best. Because if I don't, somebody else is. Mm -hmm. And how do you, how do you manage that? People, uh, a lot of, a lot of people ask questions um, to guests on this podcast about managing between personal life. And there is a level of, (laughs) well, you know, there are athletes and there are casual competitors, but how how that you're taking this step now? Mm. How, how have you found that you kind of, you know, make sacrifices, but also kind of manage everyday life? So, I mean, I mean, the first thing I thought when you said personal life was what personal life? Uh, it really really it's about getting rid of everything else right it it really is about that uh and living in that space um you know i'm 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 so blessed i've got an amazing wife and i've got a beautiful son who's just four months old and we've got a beautiful house and a beautiful home so between the support and the love i find there and jujitsu i don't want or need anything else everything else is a distraction and i suppose i'm in a place where i feel um, you know that means other people are distractions and I'm in a place where even if that offends them, I don't really mind. Um, I, I really am. It's, it's tunnel vision and it goes, I suppose it goes a little bit back to being selfish. It's not about balance and finding time for people or for personal things. It's about, it's about getting rid of those things and pushing forward. Right. Well, it's quite interesting because I've, I've met competitors who have social lives and who, who have had social lives and had to, choose to bin that all off yeah and people who have their focus so uh, a good example of this is is like the meow brothers it's like what hobbies do you have it's like none i love that quote this is my favorite thing it's like yeah. it's like, <laughs> it, it, it said with such confusion like 
Why would I have other hobbies? What what do you mean? I I, I don't really understand the question. (laughs) Um, But there there is people who've made sacrifices and there are people who who kind of grown up and they're the kind of people who really fascinate you've grown up not really understanding that there is so for example it's like oh well why would i go out with beers with the guys when i could just go to jujitsu yeah um i think it can often be two different types of mentalities and i think it's also i think you know you can be 75% in and go win the British Open, right? But can you be 75% in and go win trials? I don't know, man. I'd, 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 I'd argue anyone who's ever won trials has ever been 75% in. That, that's, that's what I'm saying. And so you can be a good competitor and, you know, be, you know, 75% about it. But I don't think you get to the top level without being, you know, truly about it. That's one of the inspiring things that's about going to Ashes and training with that squad, seeing how about it they are. Um, and it also, it gives you confidence. When you know you're all in, mm-hmm. it's like, is the other guy though? Because I know I'm all in, right? And so I think, I think when people jump in like that and the cards are on the table like that, I think it gives you a lot of confidence because you, you, know, you know you're truly about it. And just that on itself can be the differentiator. And, and when you get to a high level, you start to know that your competitors and that's and that's and I find that quite interesting as well. And I think the more I think we'll see that a lot in the next year, um, especially uh, with you competing against what I would deem as that there is a pool of people who uh, kind of from your alpha grappling all the way to your Polaris of competitors from who are I'd say well including black belts, but there are a lot of brown purple belts mm. who are significant competitors knocking on the door knocking on the door mm. and you the more you compete in that pool the more you start to know your competition you've competed against them before but you also know who they are yeah you know how much they train yeah and you know their commitment to the sport uh-huh. and i think that's quite fascinating as well one of the things that really excites me about about getting on these shows and getting these kind of one-on-one super fights is just that that i know the other guys also very very committed uh i find that really really exciting i want my opponent to be working as hard as i am i want them to be as committed as i am i want them to think they can beat me mm-hmm. right i want that kind of challenge does that and level of opponent excite you yeah man yeah yeah, yeah. i want to fight yeah of course yeah the, the better the opponent the more excited i am 100 <laughs> percent um at the minute now it is just about fighting the best people every time and hopefully getting a step up in level of opponent every time in order that i can show these levels i'm at you know you talk about there is kind of this pool of kind of yeah purple and brown nogi guys under 70 in the uk who are kind of you know knocking on that door a few of them are on i think the prelims and the polaris squads and that coming up yeah 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 um i'm incredibly confident that i'm head and shoulders above everybody in that pool and so it's just about getting on these shows and fighting these people and yeah that for me i live for that hassan that's yeah that's exciting for me I can see if you, the, the thing is, this isn't a video podcast and, um, I mean, hopefully we'll be able to do some stuff for Sam later on down the line, but I think if you could see it in his eyes, you'd, you'd, <laughs> you'd understand it. You'd believe it. I, I, every time you talk about competing, I have this flash. You ever seen the Yo Romero video where he says, I'm going to do a Yo Romero accent. He goes, if, uh, if you can do anything, yeah, uh, go, go. Have yeah, you seen yeah, that one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Love your Romero. Thank God. He is, he is the, so like when he fought 
for the title, it was it was the most frustrating thing. I because everything about him as a competitor, I love. Yeah, me too. Everything about his his pure mentality of just a hundred percent commitment mentally, physically. He goes to the dark place. And then, uh, but he, you know, he the the fight didn't go his way, and there a lot of, to discuss around tactics for mm. that fight against Izzy and stuff like that. But it 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 was it was it was just there. There is something special about your Romero that well, I mean, genetically, mentally, physically, everything about it. I just it's unfathomable. Yeah, he's incredible. I, I like your Romero a lot. There's a few interviews like that where he just says sort of a couple of things and it just like, you can see it in his eyes. Yeah. Like again, going back to Tim Grover, uh, his book before winning was called Relentless and he talks about the great competitors and one of the things they do is they go to the dark place and it's about understanding that, you know, there is a part of your personality that exists in the dark place and it's maybe not a very nice person and that, that person is kind of in all of us. Um, some of us are more willing to accept that and acknowledge it than other people. And in the greatest competitors, what you see is an ability to go to the dark place. You saw it in Michael Jordan all the time, yeah. who obviously Tim Grover was one of his coaches. Um, and you see it in people like Yoel Romero. You see it in his eyes. And I, you know, I see it in Mikey Musumeci when he competes too. Um, and I think... It's about understanding yourself as a person. Yeah, of course. Like we don't... Oh, this is going to sound very like I'm kind of Nigel Faraging here. We, all, we, we live in a, a world where we like to imagine sometimes that people, or we're encouraged to believe that everyone is 100% good. And 100% doesn't have the ability to go to a place which can seem a bit nasty. Do you see where I'm going at? And, and, For sure. And, and, the, but I, and I, I did this with a, uh, Alan, Whitman, Alan Witten, who's a sports psychologist, mm. um, is understanding that so he he does a visualization technique where he gets you to visualize yourself on the edge of the mat competing and then he visualizes you in your it can be whatever you describe it as your ultimate form your that that person who who gives no fucks who is yeah. who is a who is a bad guy but not in any kind of a bad guy not in a bad way a bad guy for necessity for the necessity of winning and for the necessity of beating the person in front of you of course competition is what competition is and there is a time and place for, for that and i think um i you know you need to take kind of normal morality out of it and understand that this is competition we all have that dark place inside us and it's about using it at the right times it's nothing to do with being a good or a bad person it's nothing to do with that. It's about understanding that there's this place you can go to that is very useful at specific times. Have you, have you, is that something that you encourage in your students is understanding more about um, who they are? Understanding, learning about yourself and learning that there is, uh, there is a place in which you can compete and there is a difference between you training on the mat and you you know competition you who's going to mm. pick apart the person that you're competing against definitely i talked to our competitors about that that you you of course you need a different mindset 
um, very much so. But I think for people who don't compete, I don't think necessarily that 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 way of thinking is going to be useful for their jujitsu journey. Mm-hmm. I think it is quite it's a it's a winner's mindset, right? Like you're talking about going to the dark place if you're talking about winning, right? Um, I think if 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 you're just a hobbyist at jujitsu, I think purposeful practice applies tenfold. But I think competition things like that, like mindset, I think. Even just that kind of conversation can put some people off if they're not competitively minded, I think. And it's, it, is, it can be hard for people to understand as well if you're, if you're not inclined that way. Yeah, I think as more and more as I'm expressing myself and how I feel about things and um, who I am as a competitor, I am also learning that. that you know, not everybody does feel like that. And even some of our competitors and some competitors that you know, I coach some of them don't necessarily feel like that. And the same language that would get me going maybe won't get them going, yeah. right? And it is, I think you, you've you made the point well a couple of times. That it is, it's about knowing who you are. Yeah. It's a, it is about knowing who you are. But I would also say that, you know, competition is competition. Um, and, you know, try and fight me and beat me without going to a dark place. You know what I mean? So, so there's that too. And so it is, it is a question of... It's the fascinating thing about human nature, right? Is that... there's competitors who can you know for example you look at uh, I mentioned him before Marcelo Garcia he strolls on the mat like he's going for the best he's like walking on as if he's going for like a nice Sunday like a Christmas walk Mm. like he is so casual but yes there is that intensity but then there are people who need to uh, I I put this on the uh, I can't remember the name of the judo competitor but um, there was lots of thing about uh, she getting slapped like the Nathaniel Wood Brad Pickett same thing just oh like I saw that slapped, yeah, yeah, get yeah. fired up some people need that yeah. some people need a physical cue that sure. they go right it's it's time for pain essentially yeah. it's time it's time for me for this next three five ten minutes it's all about kind of being in a world in which this is the reality yeah I think understanding what your cues are is 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 super important um it's interesting you talk about marcel garcia um and henzo gracie was the same i think henzo gracie would sleep before fights uh but i wonder you know marcel garcia looks super chilled walking out there and his body language looks chilled and confident. but I, I wonder what's going on in his head yeah i wonder how serious the things in his head are and again i think marcel is one where you can see when he competes you can see it on his eyes he's so aware he's so present he's in the zone he's in that special place doing that thing at all times i think mentally you know, he's very, very impressive. So I think the last uh, question I have before we go on to kind of user questions is um, off-seasons, periods. I mean, we've just had, every competitor just had the biggest off-season that they'll probably ever have in the rest of their lives, especially jiu-jitsu competitors because there's no real off-season or off-period. Mm. But what are your thoughts on that? Does, does not having a period in which your whole your sole focus is on learning and i think for professional jujitsu this comes into play more because people do have if you're a professional competitor and you're only complete competing on invitational shows or things like that mm. although people compete more often maybe than other professional uh, sports i think there is still a room for off periods and does not doing so hinder people is there no room for growth and because are, are you only training to maintain or training mm. for competition? It, you know, there's no training for growth. I think in terms of physical preparedness, um, you can't, you know, you can't be competition ready 365 days a year. 
you you need to ramp it up and ramp it down. And once you've ramped it up, so you are ready for competition, your body's going to need a bit of time to come off. But I don't think that applies to the mental side of things. You can always be watching and learning jujitsu. You can always be drilling jujitsu. You can always be purposefully practicing. Uh, and again, I think if you look at elite performers, I wonder how many of them actually have off seasons. I wonder what Roger Federer is doing when Grand Slams aren't on. I, you know, I know Michael Jordan was working with Tim Grover all off season, right? And I bet all these elite performers, they might not be, um, you might not be having your body so physically fine tuned, but I think on a mental level, I think you can always be working. Having said that, I am also aware, one of the cool things about jujitsu sometimes is if you take a week off, sometimes you do come back better and like you're hitting a move that you weren't so smooth on before or something like that. So there is definitely something to be said for, for taking mental space away in mm -hmm. order for cognitive growth to happen. And I'm sure there's something that's going on there neurologically. We know you learn when you sleep. So maybe, you know, taking an extended period of days off sort of amplifies that process. Um, I know for me, I get edgy with a day off. Yeah. So You start getting the jujitsu shades. Yeah, and I think... I think you can always, I think you can always be learning. And again, like just thinking about elite performers, I talked to someone like Cabrinha and, you know, he doesn't take days off. He's maybe not physically training at a hundred percent every day, mm -hmm. but he's not taking entire days off and he's always learning and always growing. Uh, and for me, that's the kind of mentality I'm most inspired by. And I think that it goes back to the word sacrifice and selfishness mm. is that you, you have to be able to understand that for you to do that is both mentally although although you know you can take mental periods off you it also is a ment mentally wearing and you have to be able to uh i think what what sometimes people don't really talk about is the so for example you do you know whatever you do your job as your job and then you go to jujitsu mm. that takes up that fills up the the cup of mental kind of capacity mm. But if you are continuously, if your sole focus is I'm going to spend every minute that I can on improving, mm. you have to prepare yourself mentally for that because people don't understand how physically wearing it is. Yeah, it's as much mental as it is anything, uh, I would say, especially um, have purposefully practicing and having a growth mindset over the long term. It's a mental thing. It's definitely harder mentally than it is physically. I mean, yeah, your body hurts every day, but it's very much about staying disciplined on a mental level and getting up and doing it, even when you don't want to do it. Mm -hmm. And I think, again, just talking about like defining features from elite performers and everybody else, I think it is that mental strength, that going, okay, well, these are my goals. This is the roadmap to getting there. That's going to take five years. Cool, I'm in, done. And then there's no second guessing now. It's like that five years, there's the roadmap. I'm going, whether it's year one, year two, year four and a half, it's the same thing. Yeah. And having the mental strength and capacity to be able to go forward with that. I've seen a lot of people commit to things for a year or two. I think it takes a lot of mental discipline, a lot of fortitude, a lot of belief in order to do it for the long term. And, you know, that's, that's what separates people. I remember I got told uh, I, when I was doing reading up on get, uh, starting a podcast, uh, there was something that said most podcasts finish at episode eight or something. What do you want now? Uh, you, so by the end of, cause I actually set myself the goal of by July, end of July, um, I'd be on 30. And so you are 28, but I've, uh, okay. 28 or 29. And then I've got one more and that'll be 30. That's already recorded. Um, but there, there is something about the fact that people, that there is a point in which people go, okay, 
ah, I've, I've, I've tried this and you're, it gets talked about a lot. Motivation drops. Yeah. Suddenly it's not as fun yeah. as it is. You know, that there's, um, I mean, some people literally, and the problem is, is that it depends on what you record with this becoming a podcasting podcast. Um, but that, you know, some people don't write notes, some people don't research and stuff like that. But to actually spend time on doing something and actually it's it's fun the first couple of times, but actually finding time exactly. in your day, right, I need to start doing this. I need to, I, I promise your calendar, I bet your phone calendar is as about full as mine. Mm. Or you've got some sort of calendar, yeah, whether yeah, it be yeah. mental or on your uh, on your iPhone or in your notebook. I like to write it down. But yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but <clears throat> I, I can tell you that most of my days are scheduled out. <laughs> Good um, work and but that that there's something in that that you'll find in competitors is if you ask them what they're doing tomorrow they probably know most of their day already yeah of course i know the week already yeah of course um i think that's a super interesting point the term is grit angela duckworth wrote a book called grit i'm not sure if she coined the term grit but she defines it as the ability to stick with a task long before the initial motivation for it is gone it might not be quite that but you know it's that's sort of that's the that's the idea of it. Did you know that the defining the thing that defines um, how well you how well children will do in school more than IQ is grit. That's it's amazing. Mental, it's mental. It's that's amazing. So you know your performance in school is not about necessarily about how clever you are. It's about how much grit you have, how much you're willing to push through even when it's not really very fun anymore. You know, um, that's a really liberating fact as well, and. It's so important. And, you know, in, in, in anything you want to do well, you're going to have to have grit. Because if you want to get good at something, it, you know, there's going to be times where it sucks. Most things are only fun for like the first six months, or the first year. And then when things get real, you know, it gets difficult. And it, grit is what gets you through to the five, the 10 year mark, to the 10,000 hour mark. Yeah. And it's so important. It's more important than you know, intelligence in children. I think that's profound. How do you get, what fascinates me about that is how do you get to a point where, how do you, because we, we learn that we learn from both. There is something to be said about learning from others. You know, you're, you're, is it environmental or is it genetic? And in what way do you learn mental fortitude? Because I've, I've always deemed it as, what I always believe that environment has far more to factor than anything else. And I think that those who you see um, with mental fortitude is, and how, and, and in them, what way do you see, do you see your parent not coming in until 8 PM at night and working really hard? Is that learning mental fortitude? Is it seeing siblings? Is it, is it, under learning lessons in school. It's I really think fascinating. I think culture is set up, especially around young people, to negate mental fortitude. I don't think it's built to give them mental fortitude. Um, you, people are people are appraised on results, and so the kind of things that will happen to a kid is, you know, let's say they come home with two different results: maths and French. Maths is an A, French is a D. Uh, the kind of response generically that people will get to that is, oh, you're really talented at maths. Yeah. You're really good with numbers. Oh, you're not that good at language though, are you? You're talented at maths. You're not that good at language, right? And so that, that creates a place where that kid, first and foremost, is going to think, okay, 
it's the results that matter. So I'm not going to try very hard. I'm going to try and avoid the things I don't do very well at and just focus on the things I do already well at because then I'm going to get praised. And that makes them weak mentally because they never approach the things they fail. And so what you need to do with children instead and what you need to do with everyone is praise the process. Mm -hmm. So it's, oh, wow, you must have worked really hard in maths. You must really get on with your teacher. You must have tried really hard at that problem. I'm really impressed with how hard you worked in your math session, right? And then looking at the process for the French result and not being, you know, oh, you suck at languages. Instead of that, it's understanding the process of why you got the D. Do you not get on with the teacher? Um, did you not study as hard? You know, it's not that you suck at languages. Maybe yeah. you spent less time studying for French. And so then you're talking, you're talking about and praising the process. And that builds mental fortitude because people realize then that it's the process that matters. And part of the process is failing in order to get better. But if you just praise good results and have a go at people for bad results, then they're not going to have any mental fortitude because they're going to shy away from the things they suck at. And obviously that's the way the whole grading system's set up. That's the way, you know, the majority of people talk to children nowadays. They don't praise the process. They praise the results. And so then people talk to themselves like that in their own head. Yeah. And so I these kids are screwed this. to begin yeah. with, you know? Um, so I think it's obviously very much environment led and it's about how you talk to young people and then how they talk to themselves. And I think for a lot of adults, maybe it's unlearning the way you talk to yourself in your head because you talk to yourself like that because that's how you were spoken to and understanding that you should be praising yourself for the process and you know for me failure is an important part of success so when I fail at things that is a sign that I'm learning and working towards growth and I'm going to analyze that failure see what happened in the process that I can improve next time and then I get better because of it and then that thing itself that engaging in the process is the thing that becomes addictive not the results and that creates mental fortitude and so, you know, it's about the language you use and the language you use when we talk to young people. And understanding that there is a point where you have to, un uh, you have to know that you have to know that it won't come easy. And I think what people yeah. find is that they'll find, uh, this is a typical one. Um, people try and pick it up languages when they're older. Mm. Uh, someone's, uh, so there was a, I've forgotten what the, what the um, description so there's a there's a word for people who know more than a particular number of languages i think it's five okay um and they all meet up in like they all had like a little conference so there's people who can speak 10 languages and they're all kind of it's pretty gangster it, it is it's the coolest i honestly like jujitsu is gangster as fuck but there's something about someone who can speak 10 languages i'm like you are the coolest person yeah um, but they all meet up and some, uh, a journalist went there and had a kind of discussion with the Muslims and questions. And one of the things they said was, how, how have you managed to learn this many languages? Hmm? Because you didn't learn all of these as a kid. Yeah. And they said, the thing with people who practice languages is that they expect to learn very quickly after doing three times a week. Said, every day we do it. And we understand that we're not going to get it within a year. Yeah. The reason that that dem and the demographic of that room is kind of mostly middle age. Yeah. And the and the reason for that is they have spent and they have understand that this process isn't a year long. It's not two years long. Um, when people talk about setting goals, uh, they usually go right. What's your six month goal? What's your one to two year old? Mm. What's your f and then they might think of five year old. But realistically. Actually, I think people should start at five years and then go from there. Yeah, I think, I mean, 
all the research says that if you want to get good at anything, it's like 10,000 hours, isn't it? And, and, or, and or 10, 20 years. Um, and understanding that, right? And I, as I said, I think, I think that's the opposite of that is programmed into culture at a young age. Kids have exams all the time. It's constantly about the next one. And they're never given this space to exist within the process and have, and have breathing room to grow and enjoy and understand what the process is. Um, which I think is a big part of it. And when, with regards to what you're talking about, about people who can learn 10 languages and them saying about how, you know, they do it every day, they understand they're still going to suck a year later. That's a really good example of grit, of having grit, of being like, okay, you know, I, I, I want to learn this new skill. And I understand that even a year later of doing it every day, I'm not going to be very good at it. But as long as I practice purposefully and in the right way, eventually I will acquire that skill. It's one of the things I always say to new white belts is that, you know, you know that kind of look they have on their face where they're so confused, what just happened? I don't think I'll ever be able to do this. It's like, well, jujitsu is going to be like that for about a year, to be honest. And it's your job to accept that it's going to be like that and to work through and to practice with purpose. And when you come out the other side, you're blessed with something incredibly special because you'll have learned the power of that process of having grit and of spending a year or two sucking at a thing in order to be good at it. And, you know, everything that has value is like that isn't it you know it's going to take a long time for you to acquire a valuable skill and you're going to have to have grit before we move on i can think of a, an, an, an analogy has popped into my head you know in uh when you pick up i don't know something from the shops or something and it says if you didn't like this we will give you your money back yeah have you ever done that <laughs> i i got a delayed train yesterday and they said you can get your money back and i was like really i was like i've never done that in my life um but the disclaimer for any actual thing, like a learn, uh, uh, something that you learn. Mm. So jujitsu in this sense is the disclaimer shouldn't be like six months. It should be if in a year as a <laughs> white belt, you do not like this. Yeah. Then maybe you shouldn't. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I bet learning a language would be the same way because it's, it's going to be no fun learning Brazilian until you can kind of converse in Brazilian. Exactly. And so it's going to be, you know, a year or so of just it being no fun. Uh, uh, yeah, and accepting that in all skill acquisition stages, I think, is super important and is not very much part of culture because we're such a results-orientated as opposed to process-orientated culture. Well, Sam Gibbs for Education Secretary. <laughs> 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 the problem is it would be... Uh, we've decided that we're going to... seven hours a day. Exactly. We've, uh, we've converted all schools to gyms and you know, <laughs> welcome to the new Dagestan. Um so what I'm going to do is, because I know we're hitting the hour and a half mark, is I'm going to, it? yeah, it's good. we're going to um, mix um, a load of the questions that people have asked. Into Do people the actually send in questions? Yeah. Is it? Okay, cool. Uh, into the quick fire round. So the quick fire round is like some fun questions as well. The heat's on. Um, but it's also just a way of kind of finding some amusing answers and some interesting ones. Okay. So I'll mix both the user questions and my own. I'm in. So start an easy one. Asai, yay or nay? Nay. Ooh. Ooh, controversy. I'm not sure if I've ever eaten it, so it's got to be a nay. <laughs> uh, do you have any daily rituals that uh, put you in the, the right mindset? You've touched on this some um, uh, already, but like when you're talking about what you do in a day, is there, do you spend a particular amount of time kind of meditating on kind of visual practice and stuff like that? I'm, I'd say constant visualization and there's a constant, in, um, I'm really aware of the narrative inside my own head and controlling it. 
So, you know, and I mean, I'll talk to myself out loud a lot and I'm, I'm always talking to myself in my head and visualizing. I'd say they're the, they're the constants. Um, I wouldn't call it ritualistic, but it's a constant. Um, and I suppose waiting for my coffee to brew in the morning is one of my favorite rituals. Do you, do you self-critique your own, uh, what's the word, your own kind of internal language? Because that's something yeah. that I found is like, no, don't tell yourself that. Yeah, for sure. Once, um, once I started becoming aware of the way I talk to myself in my head, I became aware of just how negatively I do talk to myself in my head. And sometimes that's useful, like at the end of a training session. Um, I, I feel like being critical is really useful. Yeah. Uh, but also understanding that I need to have a positive narrative inside my head of who I am running through all the time and of who I'm going to be. And once I've begun to shape that narrative and talk to myself in my head in the way I want to, I become more and more convinced of the power of doing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is the, if you were to describe it in a sense, what is the goal of BJJ? So some say, what is the goal of BJJ? To control and submit people. I think, I think that's the simplest way to put it. Uh, what competitions do you have in your sites? Uh, grappling industries in a couple of weeks. And I'm going to be on Alpha Grappling Championships a couple more times. Um, Grapple Fest, Chris at Grapple Fest. I was supposed to be on that show that got called off because of COVID. They're going in again in September. Should be on that. And then obviously we've got trials in September. Not thinking beyond trials. And to be honest with you, if, if I don't win this trials, It'll be the, next the answer to, the, to that question is always the next trials. Yeah. It's basically, it's, it's all with a view to trials. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> this is a good one. Are you now planning on taking Gordon Ryan's place as the best in the world? Um, what's the rest of the thing? As the best in the world was just vacated. <laughs> um, I wouldn't say I'm now planning on that. That's been the plan for a minute. Uh, I'm hoping that you don't want to get up to Gordon Ryan's size. Yeah, no, I, I really like lightweight divisions. Um, the, the, my favourite guys to watch are like light and featherweights, and I like the dynamism of my division. Yeah. yeah. Um, one, well, we've already, well, I'm going to skip one towards health growth because we have been talking about that endlessly. Uh, <laughs> favourite submission? The one I'm, the one my opponent's tapping to right now. Oh, stop being so cool, all right? Just, just, <laughs> it just, is, though. Just say a submission. Stop <laughs> being so cool. Uh, okay. Um, strangle from the back over the face. Yeah. How's that? Yeah, I felt that the other day. <laughs> um, uh, who's been your most difficult opponent? Oh, what was his name? Something Rodriguez. Uh, I want to say it's James Rodriguez. I fought in the final of London Warriors Cup. And the guy I fought was number ra- number one ranked purple belt at the time. Uh, and he was just so... He beat me by, I think, two advantages. And he was just so savvy. He was like, he didn't engage that much. Not that much engagement happened. But I mean, I think I spoke about... He was one of the people I was speaking about earlier. Like, he really did beat me by two advantages. Yeah. And that was a big learning curve for me. Because at the time, I couldn't, I couldn't work out how to get into the fight and get going what I wanted to get. So I'd say, I'd say him at this he point. He had that, uh, you know, we were talking earlier about Gordon Ryan being able to control the pace mm. and being able to decide that this is how we yeah. are going to play this game. Yeah, he very much did do that. And that, that was a big learning curve for me. Um, who's your biggest inspiration in jiu-jitsu and why? Dep- uh, in or is it different people for and, different things? Yeah, it would be different people for different things. Um, but the Rotolos, the way they're Kade or Tai, the way they fight. I think that that's that's what modern jiu-jitsu is going to look like. I love the fact that 
they're coming in with not just this supreme technical ability, but this supreme athleticism and physicality. And you see people just drown underneath that physicality. And, you know, by the end, they're getting the submission and the guy they're getting it on kind of looks like a blue belt now because they're just gassed and they just drowned. And I, I, I really appreciate that kind of jujitsu. I think that's a good way to describe them is modern jujitsu. Yeah, I think that's where it's going. And if you, if you don't have that physicality, then you're not going to be able to compete at the highest levels. So I find, I find them really inspiring. Musa Meshi too, yeah. for his level of technicality. I'm really inspired by it. Just when I watch his jiu-jitsu, it's incredible. Yeah, it's two sides to the same coin, essentially, between the, that, that kind of the modern jiu-jitsu, the athleticism of it, and that technical ability as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, your favorite competition so far? That I've fought in or that I've watched? Uh, that you've fought in. Oh, well, did you want just gone? Alpha Grappling Championships. It was so cool to just like be given like a one-on-one super fight. It was handled really well. It's really cool that they streamed it live. That kind of vibe's wicked. Yeah. Uh, where, what, what was the why? Why did you get into jujitsu? Did you, did you see an advert for it? Uh, I was watching the UFC about six years ago. <laughs> I, thought, I, I thought I could do it. I thought it looked like fun. So I went and found a local MMA gym. My current jujitsu instructor was teaching jujitsu there for what turned out to be a few months. He then left and set up his own club. I followed him and not looked back since. Uh, the next goal, what is, uh, have you got like a, we, we talked about long-term, short-term goals. Obviously the next big goal is ABC trials, mm. but is there, do you have like a short-term goal in mind? Is there anything that you've kind of noted down, whether it be kind of, I don't know, uh, a technical thing a jujitsu, like an actual kind of technique thing or. Right now it's, um, I'm constantly getting better at wrestling. Um, frankly, I feel I'm in a position where there's, there's, n- I wonder if there's anybody under 70 kilos who could take me down in jujitsu in the country right now. And that's, that's my place where I just wrestle lots. I haven't really gone very technically into learning wrestling and I very much need to. And so that, um, and, but aside from that, yeah, there's always goals. There's a one or three or five year goal. And then there's micro goals that help me achieve them. Uh, I'll show you a technique I learned yesterday that I think you really like. Thank you, sir. <laughs> uh, uh, I think, well, this, this is already answered, but pull guard or take down. Yeah, take down. <laughs> take down. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. Um, Come on, man. Uh, the, the best advice you've been given. Has anyone ever given you a bit of advice that's really stuck with you? I get tons of great advice from great... I'm very blessed to have Eamon Madden as a coach and now going over to Wales with Ash and Chris Reese and Josh and that lot over there. I'm very blessed to have loads of good advice. But you know what really liberated me a while ago? as a competitor that actually helped was Mikey Musameshi saying that before he goes into competition, reminding himself that the people that matter will love him anyway, regardless of the outcome that really affected me as a competitor. And it reminded me that, you know, all these beautiful people in my life, I'm so blessed to have such great people in my life and they will love me anyway. It's only the the pressure comes from me. Yeah. It's self-administered. Exactly. And so what that made me realize was that I want the pressure. (laughs) I must want the pressure because it's me put, I'm choosing to put that pressure. I'm not doing this to impress anybody else because they'll love me anyway. That's Um, fantastic. So I was quite liberated by that as a competitor. I think that that is very, and that's something to really kind of, people should really dwell on. Mm. Um, And finally, the, uh, the question that Charlie, right. So I interviewed Charlie Bowling two days ago okay. and he was, he was the first person to not answer this because he doesn't watch any TV. And I feel like you may potentially lean on the line. Um, <laughs> but if someone to play you in a movie, who would it be? And what kind of movie would it be? Oh, oh, that's a sick question. You can, you can still answer that if you don't watch TV. Um, 
Who would who would play me or who would I want to play me? Who would you want? You can you can Denzel Denzel all day son the coolest man on D- film yeah man Denzel maybe Joaquin Phoenix would be cool I I really like Joaquin Phoenix um, or Daniel Day Lewis oh he'd go full method he'd, yeah exactly Daniel I'd Day, love to see Daniel imagine Day-Lewis if go Daniel full Day Lewis suddenly became like ADCC champion <laughs> purely because he wanted Just to for the movie yeah he was like oh I'm gonna play Galvao in a movie so I've decided that I'm gonna be you know ADCC champion yeah 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 Get and what kind of movie juice. would it be uh it'd be a thriller action movie yeah it'd be a thriller yeah, that inception movie. line yeah that kind of thing. yeah it would be it would be i think it would be a thriller action movie in my life i've had a very colorful life so far so i think it would be you know i kind of like um kind of melancholic indie movies yeah but i don't think that would be my life i think it would be more <laughs> kind of thriller action do you know what i completely agree because there's there's movies that i like that i go God, if this was actually my life, this would be pretty be boring. Sad, yeah. It'd be super sad and super like dull, but But if uh you know, if Denzel played my life in an action movie, yeah, yeah, I'd be pretty I'd feel pretty good about that, dude. I'd, I'd watch that. Yeah. <laughs> cool. That's one ticket sold. Well, thank you very much for coming on. Um I think people are only going to grow to know you um over the next couple of years, um, the the more and more you compete at that higher stage. Um, so thank you very much for coming on Hassan it's been a pleasure thanks for having me I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did to keep up to date with all our latest stuff follow us at the prodigy podcast on Instagram